Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Promos, Head of Institutional Content and Investment Magazine, and this is Market Narratives. This show is a series of unorthodox conversations with thought leaders influencing the world of fiduciary investors. For more related insights and analysis, please remember to check out our website, investmentmagazine.com.au, and subscribe for a free email. And with that, please enjoy this week's episode. My guest today is Lucas DePorbe. He's the Executive Director and CIO of Lonsec Investment Solutions. Welcome, Lucas. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. So I thought today we would start with um, the current situation with markets, and uh, we seem to have a situation where equity prices seem detached from the economic reality that's out there. I guess what? let's start off with a controversial question. You know, Do investors really need to sort of hold their noses and, and jump in? Is this this new normal that we're, we're experiencing? It's interesting because, uh, you know, we talk about a new normal, but it's, it's fair to say that um, as we've seen in the current environment, I guess on a whole nother level, but we've had um, central banks uh, supporting markets for, for some time, really. Um, not, you know, post the GFC, we've had uh, significant stimulus via quantitative easing. So, the current environment, um, we've seen that ramped up on, you know, uh, we've got um, uh, central banks buying up uh, not just uh, government bonds, we've, we've got them buying uh, investment grade bonds, high yield, uh, significant fiscal backstops. And, you know, markets uh, do like liquidity. Uh, so that's the tension point at the moment is that while certainly the economic news is, is poor, uh, the key question we're asking ourselves is, well, how much um, of that is priced into the market, but also to what extent will markets continue, uh, in effect, backing the Fed? Because uh, at the moment, you know, liquidity is very supportive of, of risk assets, albeit the economic uh, news is, is, is poor. It's interesting when you when you sort of talk about the Fed, you know, and we've seen the U.S. market continue. And I I probably should have prefaced my comment, but it's the U.S. that seems to be driving most of this yes. growth, and it seems that it's this ripple effect globally that the other markets are sort of continuing. You know, is is there sort of some merit to sort of you know allocating more to the U.S. because you know that that backstop is there, and that's the first first uh, place to to get returns. Look, I think it depends on, on, on your own individual process uh, and how you how you sort of look at the world. I mean, I think there's a couple of factors you've got to consider. So, um, you know, when, when we're sort of looking at things, we're looking at, us, I guess, uh, what is liquidity in markets? Absolutely. And liquidity, as I mentioned, the liquidity environment at the moment is, is very positive. And that's turned around, you know, even within months in terms of markets are flush with liquidity. But on the other hand, you also got to look at valuations. Now, the U.S. market um, is certainly uh, uh, not at extreme expensive levels, but it's certainly not cheap. So, uh, I think from our when we think about it, is 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 also looking at well, you know, do you pile in into an asset that's arguably not not cheap? Um, so we've we've probably would taper that view in terms of just piling into U.S. equities and. I think also it's important to note that the U.S. market, you know, it's been driven by uh, a fairly narrow uh, selection of sectors uh, and stocks, and you know, the tech sector is a good example um, in this environment. So I think you've got to be uh, not just look at the the broad asset class, but really look at um, what type of exposures within the asset class, whether it's on a stock level or sector level. I think those type of decisions will become increasingly important. 
So as we think about the, you know, you mentioned the the FANG stocks obviously being the ones that have been driving a lot of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ of, of late, you know, is, is there just this sort of uh, wisdom of the crowd, I guess you could say, that people all want to hold the same assets? You know, when I speak to asset owners uh, as, as part of this podcast series and as part of our, our normal day-to-day, they all talk about buying assets that have got good brand names, their quality management. Uh, they talk about dividends. You know, Are, are we going to see this sort of overvaluation maybe just persist because there's just this you know, very strong belief that you've just got to buy that, you know, these particular businesses? Is that going to... Yeah. I think that's. I think there's merit in that comment because um, at the moment, if you look at the current situation, I think you know people are looking at those businesses that have sustainable balance sheets, those businesses that will be able to potentially survive, those businesses that will continue to exhibit some kind of growth profile. So if you're sort of thinking about those that dynamic, then then certainly that will sort of gravitate you to certain parts of the market that you know call it that quality end of the market, however you want to term it, but. Um, so, so you may see, uh, though, albeit valuations aren't cheap, those parts of the market continue to, 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 to do well. Mm-hmm. So let's let's broaden it out from from equities, right? And a portfolio is not just equities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you think about portfolio construction now? What are the asset classes that sort of you know you think about in terms of compartmentalizing a portfolio uh, for your clients? Yeah, so uh, we do invest across the full spectrum of asset classes, um, uh, you know, ranging from equities, bonds, alternative assets, uh, and so forth. So at the moment, some of the areas we've been focusing in on uh, a little bit deeper, one has been in the into credit markets uh, and certain elements of the credit market, so things like the loans market. So prior, uh, prior recent events, I mean, some of those those markets looked quite expensive, um, but at the moment we are seeing some some attractive pricing opportunities uh, in in parts of the credit market, uh, even syndicated loans, for example. So, even if you factor in um, uh, default, you know a certain level of default rates, um, those sectors are looking relatively attractive for us. Um, I think also given if the fact that. Yield is going to be challenging. Um, uh, you know, we're seeing dividends uh, companies defer dividends, cut dividends. So, uh, from a risk return perspective, we are looking at some 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 of those markets uh, uh, segments as well. So, credit. The other elements um, that we've been looking at uh, is some of the alternatives. We've 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 always had a, a an exposure to alternatives, and primarily via your multi asset diversified alternative structure. But more recently. We have been looking at uh, assets such as gold, and we have been making uh, a small allocation to gold across some of our portfolios as well. Can you give the thesis behind gold? I know a couple of uh, different investors are now starting to to suggest it. Um, you know, what, what's what's the thinking there? So there's probably two elements to 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 the gold allocation. Uh, one is uh, we know in when there's a flight to safety, uh, gold. Uh, tends to be a, a store of wealth, and and we we know that that price tends to do pretty well. So, um, in a deflationary environment, as we are arguably now uh, in an environment where economic news is is poor, um, having some exposure to gold we think is warranted. And then looking further afield as well. So we talked about the massive stimulus we've seen. By uh, by central banks and, and and fiscal stimulus as well, you know. While no one's thinking about it at the moment, inflation at some point may 
may reappear. Um, and so um, from that perspective, we think that gold uh, also can act as, a, as an inflation hedge uh, if, if that is a risk that you know, comes to fruition. Mm-hmm. How much does the foreign exchange sort of considerations play into the portfolio? Because gold obviously is, is priced mm-hmm. predominantly in US dollars. You know, is that also yeah. a, a foreign exchange bet as well? Not specifically. Um, uh, when we're not sort of using it from a currency perspective, but I think more broadly, um, just on currency, um, one of the things we are thinking of is is increasing our. You know, at what point do we start increasing our hedge hedged uh, exposure? Um, most of our exposure to date in global equities has, has been unhedged, which has worked really well. As um, but we're starting to look at sort of uh, currency valuation more broadly. And saying, well, does it make sense to to potentially look at introducing some hedged exposure? We're probably not there yet, but we are looking at that a bit more closely. Mm-hmm. How much does does uh, the unlisted space and, and the illiquidity that that you know that sits behind it? Some of these syndicated loans are you know they're they're quite illiquid. How much does that play into the part of of building the portfolios? Yeah, so liquidity is important. I mean, um, our Exposure to liquid assets within the portfolio is is very small. Um, that's partly due to the uh, universe we can invest in. So we're, we're dealing with products in the wholesale space, um, and so certainly from our perspective, liquidity is very important. Uh, and um, our exposure to illiquid assets is one one naturally sort of limited by by the universe we have, uh, but it's also a conscious decision where you know. We think liquidity is important, and particularly in the um, in the uh, uh, structures that we invest in, uh, you need to have liquidity. Mm-hmm. So let's let's take it back also to sort of the broader portfolio construction. You know, a lot of funds have got these these SAAs they as they build up and they start to uh-huh. build out buckets. You know, how do you guys approach it? Yeah, so we 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 um, over the long term, yes, we have a, 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 an SAA uh, framework. Um, uh, and and that's built up. I guess you know we're looking at forward-looking capital markets assumptions. We're looking at things like GDP growth, uh, the inflation rate, um, and obviously you know correlation between assets uh, 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 and risk. I think more of a on a medium-term basis, um, we are looking then more closely at things like valuation. We're looking at things like where are we in the cycle, the economic indicators, policy and liquidity. And then we're also looking at risk measures. Um, so things like, for example, the, the VIX index and other risk measures to get a sense of shorter term um, factors. So from a dynamic perspective, that's they're the key factors we look at. And we're looking at those factors on a sort of 18 month to three year view. Um, and they really drive the the tilts within the asset allocation for us. Can you give a bit more context on on the dynamic piece to, to the puzzle? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? How much would you be willing to move? You know. Yeah. Yeah. So so our dynamic uh, asset allocation, we we you know we we do think that the strategic side is over the long term is going to add the bulk of of of, of, of return uh, to returns. The dynamic for us is really to. To be able to tilt the portfolios, primarily with a view of being able to manage risk uh, within the portfolios. Um, so, you know, in terms of the extent of that, we, we may take a tilt of, you know, up to about five percent away from the strategic, as an example. Um, 
And we are looking at those three elements. So we start off with valuation. So internally, we'll look at, we've got an internal IRR model that we look at in terms of long-term valuations. We look at other valuation metrics as well. And that gives us a sense of, you know, do we think assets are are, are, effectively cheap or expensive? But then we also recognise that, you know, valuation is very much a long-term indicator. Valuation, you know, is certainly a seven-year-plus type indicator. So assets can be expensive for a long time or cheap for a long time. So we do think you need to overlay that then with some medium-term indicators. And that's where things like policy, um, you know, at the moment, as, as we discussed, we're seeing ample liquidity in markets. Um, so what does that look like? Um, what do the economic indicators look like? And then finally, um, some of those more shorter-term metrics, those risk metrics, what, what is that environment looking like? And that gives us then, you know, so in practice, what that may mean is, like, for example, if an asset is is expensive but policy is still supportive, then, you know, we, we may still hold that asset, um, uh, you know. Uh, and that's so, so there's that interaction between those factors. Um, uh, and so at the moment, I... More recently, we've we were coming into the the current market environment. We were slightly underweight to to, to risk assets. We we're holding more alternatives, mm-hmm. uh, but we've neutralised our exposure to to equities uh, on the view that um, there's a lot of economic uncertainty, and and no doubt we think there's going to be more bad news to come. Policy at the moment is supportive. Valuations are uh, while not cheap, are better probably than they were leading into the current environment in some markets. Uh, and some of those risk factors um, have been uh, still still elevated in some areas, but have been trending down. So over the sort of 18-month, three-year view, you know, we're certainly not bullish, but, um, you know, we've, we've neutralised some of that equity exposure. How comfortable are you in terms, you know, when you talk about measuring risk, and I know a lot of people do, there are various sensitivity analysis and scenario planning. Mm-hmm. How comfortable are you that sort of what you can use and, 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 the, and the platforms that you can look at and, and analyze your risk sort of are, mm-hmm. are, are good for going forward, you know, in this new environment? Yeah. Um, <laughs> look, it's a, it's a very good question. Um, you know, it's, 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 there's, you know, and as we've seen in the current environment, you, you can, you can, model all you want but when you get a um a left field event like a pandemic there's no risk model is going to save you right so <laughs> so i think i think risk is is you know for us it's just trying to yeah look what are the possible scenarios from an economic perspective um from a policy expect perspective um but i think it's important just to have a clear process because I think you're not going to be able to predict these type of things, but if you stick to, you know, what are the key things you believe in from a philosophical perspective? And, you know, in our case, we do think valuation is important. Um, we do think policy and, and liquidity are important. Um, and those are the things we try to stick to because, um, uh, look, there, there will be left field events uh, and, and there's a lot of noise in the markets, uh, particularly in periods like this. So, um it's sticking to 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 that process but you look risks um you know if you sort of think about most market events um outside of the actual event usually market it you know whether it's a pullback of some sort there's a liquidity element and a leverage element and i think i think having a sense of um uh those uh 
uh, those things is uh, is important in, when you're thinking about risk. I wanted to pick up on your point about sort of, you know, you talk about valuation, you talk about policy. How much does sentiment, you know, and, and sort of the this broader market, you know, uh, crowd or this market crowd effect that, that sort of drives markets affect you, you know? Like how, how do you think about that piece? I know there's a lot of uh, funds yeah. allocate to momentum. That's maybe yeah. one way to capture sentiment. But how do you think about that? So look, momentum's interesting, and and a lot of the uh, the evidence suggests that momentum's are pretty effective. Um, we don't specifically uh, we look at short term measures, um, uh, as I mentioned. Uh, you know, we look at some of the risk indicators, um, like like VIX uh, and so forth. Um, but uh, you know, we're not basing our our decisions. Uh, on those indicators, but it does give us a sense of, for example, if if we're seeing um, if 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 valuations are okay, uh, policy is positive, um, and uh, uh, and then there's positive momentum. It just gives us, uh, I guess, increased conviction uh, potentially in in uh, in a position. Um, but we are not, you know, we're we're taking that medium term view. So those shorter term momentum cycles. Of, of indicators we think are relevant, but we're not sort of basing our decisions on that. Mm-hmm. How much do you think that your portfolio, you know, will be affected by by this current crisis? Right, we 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 came into this crisis with huge concerns about valuations, concerns about big debt overhang, um, and being the end of the cycle. Actually, the end of the cycle conversation seemed to be going for the last four or five years, and just kept continuing. Yeah. Um, you know, how, how have you been thinking about sort of whether this crisis now is this end of the cycle and how do you maybe need to sort of rethink your SAA or rethink even the individual assets that you're, that you're allocating to? Yeah, the, the whole sort of cycle, the year right, you know, leading into this, the, the, the conversation was we're, we're sort of near the end of the cycle. Um, I think I think the, the current environment is, is certainly accelerated that. Um, I think... From our perspective, we are looking at our sort of what are our capital markets assumptions look like going forward. Um, uh, what are those IRRs for the various asset classes? You know, potentially are they are they? You know, given we've had a pullback um, in some parts of, in some markets, do those IRRs look um, look uh, look higher potentially in the future? It's 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 you know. So we're going through that exercise at the moment. Um, I think in terms of assets, it's a valid point. So if you think about things like bonds and, you know, quite possibly we might see bond yields go down further as, as central banks continue to uh, their, their, their sort of QE type uh, of program. And so at some point, what do you do with bonds? Uh, do, they, do they still have a role uh, to play? We, we don't think we're there yet. We still think bonds... Do have a role uh, to play, um, and they have acted how they're, um, you know, supposed to act um, when markets have pulled back. But, um, uh, but at the same time, um, we think there will become a point of time. So, do things like gold play a greater role, and, and other alternative assets? I think they're the sort of key key questions we're asking ourselves from a portfolio perspective. And um, you know, I don't think we've got an answer today, but they're. They're things that we're thinking about at the moment. Let's take the conversation uh, to the income generation piece, right? You talk about bonds and bonds were, you know, historically seen as a very good 
proportion of, of income that, that these portfolios are generating. You know, as you get more and more people moving into the retirement phase uh, yeah. of the equation, the, the search for yield becomes, you know, immense. So, yeah. you know, how, how does that now change? Um, where, where do you go? You know? No, look, it's a good question. And I think, um, so we, we do run a set of portfolios that's focused on that um, retirement phase of investment. And you said it, lead, leading into this, that the, those portfolios um, had a bias towards <clears throat> Aussie equities, and and you know a large part of that obviously is due to the the, the yield uh, and the franking, which for zero tax paying clients is, is certainly relevant. Now, you know if we're sort of factoring in a thirty percent drop in 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 dividend income um, uh, for for that part of the portfolio. So so where do we source source yield from? Um, Generally, within those portfolios, we had a, we have, we have had a bias away from duration from Govy bonds um, for some time. So it has had a bias to 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 credit. Um, we are looking at other parts of the credit market, and I mentioned things like syndicated loans uh, as well as as playing a role potentially within um, within that income generation, but. I think that the main message that we're we're saying to clients is um, even even by further diversifying our sources of income, and we think that will sort of assist in in, in delivering income. Um, we do think that the you know certainly for the next twelve months the expectation uh, that should be set with clients is that you know income will be will be lower, um, and uh, and the dividend. Deferral cuts. Look, we, our view is that it's 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 a temporary measure. You know, at some point, we think that the dividend uh, income will, will, will sort of return. But um, there's no silver bullet um, in terms of you know there's no sort of one area where you're going to sort of generate all that income. Um, so there's incremental things that we're doing, uh, looking at different parts of the credit market where we do think there's significant mispricing opportunity. Uh, and we'll get a bit of a yield pickup, but the overall message for, for certainly for the next twelve months is that yield will be potentially lower. Yeah, look, that that part about income is is incredibly challenged. Um, the the other thing is, you know, do do you sort of look at manufacturing income in the sense that you invest in assets that have got that growth, and you can start slowly start to pay them, you know, uh, sell down to to create an income stream? Is that another option that that you guys have looked at? Yeah, no, absolutely. So. Um, Absolutely. So, I mean, in terms of our client base, um, you know, they 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 will structure it things. So, with the advisory space, they will also structure the portfolios more broadly. In terms of, you know, what we see a common approach is that a lot of clients will have a cash reserve which they're using to to draw down um, uh, uh, excess income they may require. Um, so, there are certain structures in place um, already for a lot of clients that that. Um, uh, that are used by a lot of a lot of advisors to to assist in periods like this, where you're not having necessarily to draw down on your growth assets, uh, and you've got that cash reserve. So that is that's a commonly used strategy uh, that's being adopted. Um, in terms of income, just more specific again to sort of asset classes, we also do invest in some uh, some structures that can generate income through options um, uh, as well. And in the recent environment that's sort of worked pretty well mm-hmm. um, uh, as well so it's it's really for us it's about you know the diversifying your income sources across a large pool of assets not just one source 
Um, and then, as you say, you know, from a from a sort, you know, how you draw down that income using things like potentially having excess cash there uh, for periods like this, where where you've got that cash reserve to to meet those income uh, uh, income gaps. Yeah, you, you talked there about sort of the, um, the the need for the need for income, and I guess that's a really big part of it. Some of the issues that you sort of just raised there in terms of income coming from the syndicated loans being um, an interesting space. Is there a risk of of potentially taking additional risk to now generate that income? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the uh, it's also important to note where you're funding that from. So we've been actually looking at that as uh, funding from equities. Um, rather than sort of the fixed income part of the portfolio. Because to your point, um, there is a high equity beta associated with with some of these assets. So it's important to understand if you are going into these assets, where are you funding those from? And, and certainly from our perspective, it's, it'd be funded more from that sort of equities part of the portfolio uh, uh, because, because of the high risk part mm-hmm. uh, associated with, with those type of structures. So thinking about the portfolio as it sits today, what a model portfolio looks like, you know, how do you split it up geographically around the world? You know, do, do you have a sort of a preference for, for DM or for emerging markets? You know, can you give a bit more color about yeah. sort of what that looks like? Yeah. So at the moment, um, I mean, if you look at it from a, from a dynamic perspective, we have had a tilt towards EM. Uh, DM still makes up a significant portion, obviously, of the portfolios. Uh, and leading into this environment, the, the rationale for that was to say, was that it was probably one of the few parts of the the mark in terms of asset classes where we we did see a, a valuation opportunity, uh, albeit we know it's high risk, um, but you know we felt that the risk reward was warranted. Again, if you're taking a, that sort of three year view, now we've maintained that. Uh, what we've seen though is that that sort of valuation premium come back a bit uh, in EM. But we continue to hold that for for the moment. Uh, but we are we are we are constantly reviewing it. So so we still continue to have uh, a slight bias to to EM. I really wanted to touch on you know these last couple of months in in the sense of you know working with the advice the advice space. You know, you'd be receiving a lot of questions um, from from that part yeah. of the market. I was just curious on on the communications that that's you know that you've been putting out there. What are the questions you've been receiving? Mm. You know th- these type these types of environments make people very jittery. You know what what mm. does that communication process look like for you? So, look, in, in such environments, you need to communicate and you need to communicate more. So, um, we've been uh, communicating in, in a variety, both in written form, we've been doing a lot more um, uh, web, webinars with, with, with clients, uh, individual calls to individual advisors. Um, so, certainly the communications uh, increased. Um, I think the key messages for that we've been going out with is is in in such environments it's important to refocus back in on, on what is your investment philosophy um, because there's a, there is a lot of noise and when there's a lot of noise the risk is that you can be very reactive um, so it's been a message of of refocus understand what your long term objectives are uh, understand what is your investment philosophy and really focusing on that um, pleasingly. What I would say is, in speaking to a lot of um, financial advisors, while there's been a thirst for 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 for, for you know for for knowledge and, and and questions, the sense I get 
from speaking to advisors is that their clients, um, certainly compared to the GFC, appear to be calmer. Uh, and and uh, and some of your advisors um, that have been through this um, uh, have been very measured in their response, which is which is great, which is which is really interesting, and it's really pleasing to see because I think a lot of the advisors have educated their clients really well. Um, you know, we've had great markets for over, you know, over 10 years until now. Um, it's just the reality. We've had great returns. And so that education process when things are good and, 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 and you know, without being able to predict what's going to happen, but knowing that, you know, markets can go the other way, I think that's sort of paid dividends. And I really get a sense that this time around, even though it's a, it's a much, in my eyes, a, a, a bigger event than um, in the GFC, it, it appears that from an advisor perspective, um, you know they've they've done a really good job in 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 educating their clients and and helping them navigate through these periods, which has meant that they haven't made, you know, they haven't just run for the hills and gone to cash, and so it does show the value of, of good advice. Oh look, the, the, it's undoubtable that advice is critical for people to to understand what they're doing before making decisions. I was curious to sort of be, you know, throw a facetious style question in there, and and how much do you think the this buy the dip mentality, you know, plays into uh, some of the thinking of, of clients as they you know they think, okay, I'll, I'll make next next crisis, I'll go all in, I'll make sure I take advantage of it. You know, <laughs> is, is that part of what we're seeing now, and, and why we're we seeing I such think, a recovery? I think- I think that's. I think there's an element of that. I, I look. There's. You know. I'm not. You know. There's. There's a whole range of. I guess clients out there. But, and just to give you a real life example, I was speaking to an advisor yesterday, uh, and their uh, client base was very much that retiree client base, and and we're having this exact discussion, saying, well, how are your clients? How are they? You know, are they okay? Um, and so forth. And 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 a couple of things to note is one is. To your point, there's actually a couple. And this is the retirees that have been looking to go into markets, which is interesting. Um, uh, so you are seeing a bit of that behaviour. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, you know anyone that went through the GFC probably said, "Well, if the markets pull back again like that, I'll probably go in." And uh, so we are look, we are seeing a little bit of that. It, there is caution though. I don't think we've we've seen people go in help the leather, but I think you're seeing a bit of that activity. I think it's real. Um, uh so uh yeah that's from the ground we we are hearing of, of that increasing <laughs> one of one of the last questions here to you is you know you know we've seen markets recover the, the stability sort of there as liquidity's been injected you know what what would make you sort of wake up in sweats that that things have now changed again you know what, what you know yeah yeah look there's a lot of sort of x factors i mean the um uh, the U.S.-China, uh, I guess, I don't know what you want to call it, <laughs> argument. <laughs> um, look, and and we, it's not it's not a new thing. You know, the last twelve months with the you know we saw the trade wars and we saw that sort of rhetoric come through. Uh, this is obviously on a on a higher level. So look, there is ex- you know to what degree that sort of um, potentially gets out of control. I mean, I think that's that's always sort of something that you've got to be cognizant of and, and concerned about um, but you know the big one is obviously the virus itself there's a still you know no, there's still a lot of unknowns and and you know we are seeing um, economies open up which is uh, which is positive and and you know we don't know to the extent that you know we'll see economies kick back into action but 
if we were to see a, you know, people talk about a second wave and virus and, and if we saw things uh, regress and, and, you know, economies have to lock down, I think that's, that's the thing that sort of, um, you know, is not an ideal scenario and certainly would, we would see markets pull back. But on, on the flip side, this is the, you know, we, increasingly diversifying your portfolio at the moment. We talked about things like having a bit of that alternatives, having a bit of that gold exposure there, um, having uh, 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 looking at those quality, that quality end of the, of the market in terms of from a stock perspective. I mean, all of those things certainly aren't going to save you, but, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll assist. So being prepared that, yes, we're seeing a bit of a, you know, we've seen markets recover, but we can also see a, a, a pullback. And, and so, Increasing that diversification is important. Well, that's a fantastic conversation. Thank you very much for your time, Lucas. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for joining us. All views expressed on this podcast are subject to change and do not necessarily reflect the views of Connexus Financial. This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice.